Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. The scandal at Hockey Canada is widening. I ask Hamilton's outgoing mayor what he thinks about the strong mayor system Ontario's premier is touting. What improvements will Rogers make in light of its recent massive outage? Two former White House aides will testify at the January 6th hearings. After it was silenced by COVID, the Hamilton Fringe Festival is back this year. And the Ticats go for their second straight win Thursday night in B.C. The GMH Podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton Podcast on 900 CHML. When I think about the culture that is apparently permeating the highest orders of that organization, I can understand why so many parents, why so many Canadians who take such pride uh, in our national winter sport are absolutely disgusted by what's going on. And certainly as a government, we will continue to be unequivocal in our uh, condemnation of what we're learning. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau saying trust in Hockey Canada is eroding, and he's not wrong. You know, the name Hockey Canada used to conjure up thoughts of winning medals and exciting hockey tournaments. Today, we're, we're thinking about sexual assault. We're thinking about a Stone Age culture. We're thinking about a cover-up and an organization clearly in desperate need of change. As you've heard in the news, the fallout continues for Hockey Canada after a woman received an out-of-court settlement after an alleged sexual assault at a gala four years ago involving eight Canadian hockey players in London, Ontario. Now, police in that city say they're now reviewing that investigation, which originally concluded with no charges. Executives at Hockey Canada will face questions next week from MPs in Ottawa. This comes a week or so after the federal government froze funding to Hockey Canada pending significant reforms. We had another bombshell uncovered yesterday. The organization's cash fund maintained by membership fees. When you sign up your son or daughter to play hockey... That money, some of it, was used to pay for liabilities, including sex abuse claims. Like, what? Hockey Canada releasing a statement yesterday confirming it will no longer use that fund to settle sexual assault claims. Sue Taylor is the executive director of Interval House of Hamilton and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Sue, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? Um, good, thank you. This incident happened in 2018, not not 1968, not 1988, four years ago. It, it, this story has my blood boiling. How are you feeling about what we've heard over the last couple of weeks? I can probably sit here and tell you that I'm not surprised. I work in an organization that serves women and girls, um, and this is the stuff that we see each day. I work in programs where I work very hard to get out and we try to prevent gender-based violence and we try to prevent sexual violence and we're hit with a lot of barriers, a lot of challenges. So this doesn't surprise me. Interval House of Hamilton has a program called Mentor Action and I've been told that local athletes undergo intensive training on sexual assault and then speak to youth about the messaging behind the program. Can you speak to the program and, and some of the work that it has done in this community? Yeah, this is a very exciting program for us. Um, this is where we work to prevent gender-based violence, and we work to prevent sexual violence. So we have partnerships with McMaster, Sport Hamilton, the Hamilton Bulldogs, Chicas, and Forge. And yes, we actually work very hard to train key players who then in turn go out into the community and work with youth 
and we challenge toxic masculinity through positive and healthy mentorship. So what what kind of dialogue is ex- being exchanged in this mentor action program when you're speaking to athletes? We really do design our program depending on where we're going. So when we actually work with um, more so the like adult athletes, like the tie cats or forge, we spend a lot of time dismantling um, and really disrupting toxic masculinity. Then in turn, depending on where we go, we have worked with kids as young as 10 and 11 years old where we do a drop-down presentation and we talk about healthy and unhealthy relationships. We also go in and we do a lot of work with coaches because coaches really do play an, uh, a tremendous role in a child's life. Sue Taylor is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Sue is the Executive Director, Interval House of Hamilton, and we're talking about the scandal that has rocked Hockey Canada. Uh, we also have a Be More Than a Bystander program in this city, and, and many sports organizations and athletes have taken to that. Are we seeing some change? Are we seeing some payoff from these programs? I love that you asked me that, because we've been doing it now since about 2015, And we actually did a drop-down presentation in a rep hockey league about four or five years ago. And it was a quick 15, 20-minute presentation right down in that dressing room. We had the Bulldogs with us. And about three years later, the project staff were actually at a local high school. And they were building on that message with high school kids. And didn't a student in that classroom raise his hand and say, I know who you are because I actually was in a dressing room and was able to pull out pictures of the event was able to talk to his class about what he learned and how that changed his life. When I heard that story, I knew we were on the right path. Absolutely. Wow. So that conversation has been left with that individual and probably many more for years. So they got the message and they're they're living that message. They got the message and then they're hearing it again in high school and they'll hear it again when they go to Mac. And we build on the message. And just the fact that he was able to talk to his classmates was able to give like actual safe bystander intervention techniques, talked about how this changed, how he saw his world around him. I knew then we were on the right path. Hockey Canada says they need a culture change, and many others have said, yes, absolutely so. What should they be doing? What do they have to look at, and, and how slow or fast of a role can this occur? The first thing I want to say is there are great programs like ours that exist, and I would encourage any system to reach out to us. We are the experts to which we do. We spend a lot of time with a lot of research, and I like to get things started. What do people need to do? We need to start having conversations. We need to start recognizing that sport plays a big role in the upbringing of our youth, but not just the physical well-being of our youth, but the emotional well-being of our youth. We have the capacity to evoke change in those dressing rooms, and I encourage the systems to come up with mandatory training and invest time in their players holistically. One of the other um, things that has my blood boiling as well, apart from this happening just four years ago, which just seems unbelievable, is that this involved eight players. We're not talking one or two people, eight individuals uh, made this error in judgment, whatever you want to call it, um, this stupid decision. What message does that send that eight individuals thought this was okay? Well, you know what? I think it really goes back to some of the training that we do, which is bystander intervention. It's having the tools to disrupt something when you see it going on and not getting drawn into it. There's a lot of research that goes in that the more people that are present, the less likely people are to get involved. 
We need to change that culture. We need to be able to say that what you're seeing is wrong, and this is how you can stand up, and this is how you can make change. Yeah, we have to definitely stand up to these types of individuals, especially when they're in that group setting as well. Take a stand. Uh, be more than a bystander, as, as the program is uh, is called. Sue, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for everything that you do in this community. Hopefully this message will reverberate uh, throughout the community. Thank you for the invite. Have a wonderful day. You too. Sue Taylor, Executive Director, Interval House of Hamilton. It's also the focus of our Twitter poll question today. In light of the controversy at Hockey Canada, should the entire leadership group of the organization be replaced? Yes or no? At AM 900 CHML, right now 84% say yes. My guess is it will remain in that percentile, maybe even a little bit higher, when we recap the results for you tomorrow on Good Morning Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Obviously, we want to put a plan in place, as the Premier has said, that uh, takes effect for this municipal election. But uh, the Premier and I are are both of the same mind. We need to make sure that, especially in major cities, that uh, those mayors and those councils have the tools that they need to get shovels in the ground and help me with the housing crisis. This is Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Thanks for waking up with us each and every day. Rick Samprin with you. That is the voice of Steve Clark. He is the Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing in Ontario. The province planning to give expanded powers to mayors in Toronto and Ottawa under a so-called strong mayors system. Uh, Premier Doug Ford says the details are still being worked out, but under this system, a mayor would be given some veto power that could only be overruled by two-thirds of council. They have a, a similar system in places like New York City and Chicago and Los Angeles. So the question is, what does Hamilton's outgoing mayor think about it? Fred Eisenberger joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Mr. Mayor, good morning. How are you? Uh, very well, thank you. Good morning. Is this a good decision or a bad decision? I, I think if it has very strict uh, limitations, uh, you know, we, I don't think we want to replicate the American, you know, strong mayor system, but we do want to provide some additional opportunities for mayors and councils to have the authority to exercise the mandate they got elected on. And so uh, that's been an issue for quite some time. I think many, many people talk about, uh, you know, I vote for the mayor and I voted for, let's say, LRT. Uh, we got him elected, and yet there's great difficulty in getting LRT approved by this council. Uh, so that, that's an example of when, uh, you know, the mandate that the mayor gets uh, should be something that uh, he has the authority and the power to, uh, to execute. And I think that's kind of what, what, you know, a prime example of the kind of major issues, citywide issues during an election process that, uh, that I think the Premier is speaking to. I'm not clear on, uh, you know, the details, and uh, they haven't provided much in terms of uh, details at all. But I have personally spoken of a veto for quite some time in very limited instances or, you know, just the very fact that a veto exists, that a mayor could veto a particular policy uh, forces people to come together and find a way forward uh, uh, and compromise. And so uh, I, I think that that's an opportunity for sure. And uh, I don't uh, not support what the Premier is saying, but I'd certainly like to see a lot more detail. And, I cert- and I'd also like to see it applied to all municipalities that have mayors elected at large. I think that uh, the problem, uh, you know, in, in Toronto or in Ottawa is the same one in Hamilton, London, and all the other municipalities uh, right throughout the province of Ontario. So if you're going to do it for one, 
why not do it for all? In your years of service as mayor of Hamilton, how many instances did you think to yourself, man, I wish I had some veto power here? I would say maybe maybe four. Maybe four. Uh, very, very limited. Very, uh, very unique. Um, you know, 90% of the time we have unanimous votes. And, and you know, all, all other votes, uh, you know, tend to be, uh, you know, well debated. And, uh, and you know, I, I don't think I've had any discomfort in the large majority of them, but I would say on maybe four occasions, I would have, uh, you know, su- suggested that uh, had I had a veto, I would have exercised it because I didn't think that council was going in the right direction on that. So uh, it's a very, very limited tool, uh, certainly something that should never be used often, but it's got to be there in, in the toolbox and reserve. And uh, the very the very threat of it, uh, I think, really gets people to come together and find a, a way forward collectively. And you know what? We have a parliamentary system, and uh, you know I don't think we want to throw that away. We don't want to create uh, dictatorships. We don't want to create a, a process whereby you know mayor has ultimate authority over almost everything, and therefore let's just get everything done. Uh, that's not the process that we have. We have uh, good representation. We have community engagement. All of those things matter. And they should all stay. Uh, but in very limited instances, when, you know, the mayor gets elected on a certain mandate, he should have a power or two to uh, to follow through on that mandate, uh, overriding whatever council might want, want to go to. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Fred Eisenberger, mayor of the city of Hamilton, as we talk about this so-called strong mayor system that is going to be implemented, we hear, for the cities of Toronto and Ottawa, at least at first. Uh, on the flip side, many councillors in those two cities, Toronto and Ottawa, have already said that, listen, this is going to dilute their voice and the voice of their constituents at City Hall. Is there some truth to that? No, I don't think so. And I think, uh, you know, when it's, uh, you know, limited cases, uh, you know, that, uh, that that really starts to then define when it can be used and how it can be used in very limited instances. But, I mean, the, uh, the, the, the other corollary is uh, it, it also potentially, potentially diminish the voices of uh, people that have voted for the mayor uh, and voted for the platform that he'd run on. And so uh, I, I think I think there's a there's a fairness element to this that uh, I think would uh, reflect on all the voices. I, I think most mayors are not particularly interested in working in a dictatorial way. Uh, and uh, if, if they uh, uh, work on consensus and on compromise and co- on collaboration, which is what we, uh, we all should be doing in all instances, uh, there are those rare moments where, you know, there is a time when the council can go off the rails or, or it's not following the mandate that the, that the mayor has, and there ought to be a mechanism to pull that back. So I would say it's a very, very limited use. Uh, you know, there's no question that... Uh, Look, I mean, all all councillors elected in their wards see themselves as the mayors of their wards, and uh, uh, you know that's something that isn't going to go away anytime soon. Uh, they are, they are duly elected, and their uh, and their voices uh, are uh, you know not only important are critical to the process, and uh, that you know it should not be uh, overrided. There should not be an over and override on that in a very easy basis. So it should be a very limited. A uh, very strictly controlled uh, opportunity to exercise a veto on, you know, very very broad uh, initiatives that the mayor got elected on. And uh, if you limit it to that, then uh, it certainly doesn't have impact on most 99% of the issues that we deal with uh, collaboratively and and. Uh, 
very well as a council on an ongoing basis. Last one for you, because we've got to run. we only got about a minute. Uh, this system apparently would give mayors, in, in these two cities at least, uh, a bigger fingerprint or more influence on the creation of the city budget. Considering how huge and how important that is, is that something you would want? Uh, you know, and I'm not clear on that. I really haven't uh, haven't had an opportunity to think about that. You know, they've 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 indicated both that that, and they've also indicated that uh, you know this would help facilitate housing. And I I'm, I'm not sure that that's uh, that's a legitimate claim, quite frankly. And I, you know, we uh, the only way we're going to solve the housing issue is through collaboration with all levels of government, the private sector, not for profit sector. Uh, you know, we, if we can come together. Uh, we can resolve these issues. Uh, it, it cannot be done independently through uh, through policy alone. So, I would say uh, probably not uh, uh, in favor of you know putting putting the finger on the scale of the budget or on the housing issue. I think that needs to be done collaboratively. But uh, when it comes to issues like uh, LRT and uh, you know the mandate the mayor gets on you know very specific items, I think there's an opportunity to have a look at it. Mayor Fred, thank you for your time this morning, and have a great day. You too, Rick. Thank you. That's Fred, Fred Eisenberger, Mayor of the City of Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Let's be clear. This was a failure by Rogers in their system. Uh, what we're doing as the regulator is now demanding uh, from the telcos that uh, they do better uh, in terms of resiliency and that we look at every other measures we can put in place so that our telecom network in Canada are more resilient. That was Industry Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne, the CRTC, giving Rogers Communications until tomorrow to explain the cause of its nationwide outage on July 8th and, more importantly, outline measures that would prevent it from happening Again, Jay Rosenthal is the co-host of The Peak Daily. You can hear them weekday mornings at 727 and weekday afternoons at 427 right here on 900 CHML. And find them on the World Wide Web at readthepeak.com. Jay, welcome back to the show. How are you? Thanks. It's great to be here. Not sure what new information is going to be revealed. We initially heard from Rogers it was a nationwide network outage due to some kind of software update. What are you most looking forward to hearing tomorrow? Well, first of all, that sounds like an excuse my, like, seventh grader. (laughs) I would give. That's what I would say, too, no matter what happened. I mean, I I think agreeing with the CRTC, like, we need to know how and why it happened and how it's not going to happen again, as opposed to what did happen. And frankly, it was the second time an outage like this, not on the same scale, happened within sort of a year and a half. So something is clearly wrong when these updates are happening. And how do we avoid that um, is really what I want to hear tomorrow. And I think a lot of people want to hear. And I, I would say business people, but those business people, small and large, people in their homes who didn't have phones, people who didn't have mobile, didn't have internet. It was very, very disruptive, not to mention the weekend concert was canceled. So it was disruptive all around. Yes. Um, Could there be a possibility that we hear something different, a different explanation for what happened? And how can the CRTC uh, prove that that indeed happened or whatever the, the cause was? I I would be shocked if we learned something groundbreaking tomorrow. That would be my that would be my initial take because uh, companies as big as Rogers don't make groundbreaking decisions generally or groundbreaking uh, revelations uh, in government documents as they're filing with the CRTC. So I would be shocked if we heard something like that. Um, I think we'll probably need to learn a little more, or CRTC is going to be all over Rogers for the rest of eternity. But I do think 
Uh, we might learn a little bit more, but probably nothing groundbreaking. Maybe a bit more details about how these maintenance updates work, why they could have failed all at the, all the same time, and potentially how they are going to try to avoid them moving forward. That is what I expect tomorrow, but nothing you know, revelatory that is going to get us back on the news, <laughs> get Rogers back on the news for the next week, saying they're going to change their operations wholesale. Jay Rosenthal is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, co-host of The Peak Daily. You can go online and read thepeak.com. That's the name of the website and get a whole lot of great business information. Canada's telecom companies, not just Rogers, but the other ones as, as well, have been given two months to come up with a deal to improve their network reliability. It, it almost seems like the CRTC is saying, hey, you do all the work and then we'll implement it or make sure you implement it. Yeah, that's what it seems like to me, too. And, and I think the bigger problem is even the sentence you just said. We only have three major telcos, right? And so when one goes down, the other two need to pick up the slack, of course, but there's still only three. So we are relying on three companies to really provide the entire infrastructure of our communications, of our economy, it turns out of our banking, of our emergency services. Like, the competition's just not there to drive these companies to make incredible changes, you know, even make major investments to improve it. So I think that the fact that there's only three is one of the challenges. And the fact that the CRTC is saying, now you guys work together when things go wrong, companies generally don't do that, whether there's two or ten of them. So I think, you know, increased competition might actually solve the problem, as opposed to saying to the three that actually operate, now work together. That's, that's my sense. And so I... I while I like that they're supposed to work together now when things go awry, I don't expect much in the, in, 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 that they'll do that very often. Yeah, I agree with that. we got about 90 seconds. I do want to switch gears. The podcast is called The Peak Daily. Speaking of peaking, Jay, please tell me, please tell our listeners that inflation has peaked. <laughs> I could tell them that. That would certainly not be something I would uh, want to be uh, held accountable to. But two things that I think are good indicators, or, or at least positive signs, or silver linings, we call them on the podcast. One is gas prices are coming down. Uh, it may not be as dramatic as we want, or as quickly as we want, but they are coming down. And then housing prices too, right? The increase in, um, in interest rates are driving, uh, cooling off the housing market. And so those two indicators, I think, do affect a lot of people. Um, and I think those two are going in the, at least heading in the right direction, as opposed to the the peak, as you were calling it, right? Um, and, and so hopefully those two silver linings, people can take some solace in, but no doubt, you know, uh, we saw the June numbers this week. It's, it's, still, it's still rising, but, but potentially, you know, maybe it's going to plateau and, and start to normalize. But, um, yeah, don't, don't hold me to any of those things, but at least those <laughs> silver linings are coming through in, in the numbers. Well, we know that the pain is real, that is for sure. Jay, appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Jay Rosenthal is the co-host of The Peak Daily. You can hear little snippets of the podcast weekday mornings at 727, weekday afternoons at 427 right here on 900 CHML. And go online, readthepeak.com is the name of the website. Some great tidbits of business info in small little chunks for you to digest. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. From one controversy north of the border to another south of the border. And the January 6th hearings go prime time tonight. Yeah, the committee investigating the U.S. Capitol riot is going to meet uh, starting at 8 tonight as it continues to focus on former President Donald Trump's response to the insurrection at the Capitol building. Reggie Cicchini is our Global News Washington correspondent and joins us this morning. Reggie, good morning. Good morning, Rick. We've seen and heard some explosive testimony at these hearings. What kind of fireworks are expected tonight? 
Well, so tonight's hearing has been billed as the moment to watch uh, because this is going to highlight what the committee says is 187 minutes of inaction by the former president at the time that the Capitol was being assaulted. Uh, and we are going to hear kind of a chronological minute-by-minute playbook of what the president was and wasn't doing uh, and what those around him were trying to get him to do. This is really going to focus on, look, America's democracy was crumbling before the eyes of the president, and instead of doing something to call off these rioters and protesters in a timely fashion, he sat in his private living room and watched it play out on TV while the back end of the Oval Office was scrambling to try and figure something out. This is going to be one of those moments where the committee says, America, we told you something was wrong. Here's what was wrong. So the back end of that White House includes two aides who will be testifying tonight. I'm sure they're not going to hold anything back. No, and and so it is worth pointing out that the committee technically hasn't said that they are going to be appearing live. It's just kind of an assumption that they'll be appearing live because they both already uh, provided uh, closed-door uh, uh, taped testimony, which we've already seen parts of. Uh, one of them, Sarah Matthews, a former aide in the press office in the White House, but the second one, Matthew Pottinger, is going to have a spotlight on him. He was an, ex- uh, an aide, rather, in the National Security Council, one of the most senior councils uh, inside uh, of the White House, and he is going to testify that when he came back to the uh, Oval Office to the West Wing on the afternoon of January 6th. He witnessed the fact that the White House was resisting the calls from the mayor of the District of Columbia for the National Guard to be uh, dispatched. He was witnessing this kind of pushback by the president to act in any kind of timely fashion, and he was the senior most person to resign after January 6th, based on the tweet from Donald Trump uh, that was kind of disparaging the former vice president. So again, these are going to be former members of an administration, current Republicans, who are calling out the former president. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Reggie Cicchini, Washington correspondent with Global News, as we talk about uh, tonight's primetime events in regards to the January 6th hearings. There are reports, that, the, uh, and I'm not sure if this is going to erupt tonight or not, but there are reports that the committee has outtakes of the former president's pre-recorded message that he delivered the next day, January 7th, when he condemned the attack and uh, pledged a seamless transition of power. Apparently, the committee has outtakes from that recording that tell a much different story, that Trump didn't want to admit the election was over and didn't want to condemn the rioters. Are we going to hear any of that tonight or going forward? Yeah, we're expected to hear some of those outtakes, which is simply going to paint that picture in a more real-time fashion to show that the president was struggling to do what was right, was struggling to call off the protesters that, uh, in all realities, were there because they had been fed a lie about election fraud. And for the president to have to now go on camera and repeatedly say, uh, you need to go home, uh, we, we will have a peaceful transfer of power based on what the Constitution says. Uh, it's reported that the president was struggling to be able to get those words out, uh, and I think that is going to be another important moment for uh, America to see. But beyond what the president said on tape, beyond what we're hearing from uh, people who are testifying, is the actual impact that this is having on, on Americans, Rick. Uh, and, and there's polling that just came out from uh, PBS uh, and, and Marist that show that how Half of Americans now think that the president, the former president, should be charged with crimes. 58% of Americans are paying attention. But what's really important here is 55% of independents are the ones that are paying the most attention to that. That could signal that there is potentially a pullback uh, on, on this kind of you know, notion that uh, nobody's really paying attention to this. If you have more than half of those not registered with either party saying, 
something is wrong here. I think I need to pay attention. Very interesting. Reggie, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. We'll all be watching tonight. Thank you. That is Reggie Cicchini, Washington correspondent, Global News. Yeah, we'll be watching starting at 8 tonight to the January 6th hearings. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Summer Cruising Series is stopping at the Hamilton Fringe Festival. Yes, it is back this year after a two-year hiatus amid the COVID-19 pandemic. And you can have a boatload of fun. It kicked off last night. There are numerous shows to be had at various locations throughout the city. Head online to hftco.ca for tickets, show schedules, locations, uh, a whole lot of fun to be had, I'm sure, over the next dozen days. Joining us now to talk about the Hamilton Fringe Festival is the festival director, Christopher Stanton, and a writer-performer with Meatless Loaf, that's the show name, Carly Anna Billings. Christopher, Carly Anna, good morning. How are you? Morning, Rick. Doing well. There you are. Okay, let's start with uh, Christopher. How great is it to be back? Uh, it's an incredible feeling, Rick. Like honestly, the um, you know two years we've been sort of like doing our best to sort of like support people how however we could, and we had a lot of online stuff happening last summer. But there ain't nothing like the real thing, you know, like being in a theater with real people, uh, seeing the same show together, and just that communal experience, that rush. There's nothing like it. Carly Anna, I'm sure you missed performing in front of a live audience as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, it was really exciting to be a part of Digital Fringe last year, but this year, even just doing tech the other day, I was getting teary-eyed, standing in the lights, you know, <laughs> waiting for my next cue because I was like, this is the thing. This is the thing we're doing. Um, it's so exciting. It feels like the best thing in the world. Christopher, you have so many shows, uh, workshops, venues, how much planning goes into this and how do you keep everything going? Well, I mean, yeah, it takes, uh, you're kind of planning year round, uh, right? And the name of the game uh, is, there's kind of a twofold thing to it. One is is surround yourself with excellent people. Like the team that we have is uh, just outstanding. You know, we have a core team of, of five. Uh, executive director Heather Kanabi is uh, uh, just a monster when it comes to the logistics of these things. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Franny McKay-Bennett and, and uh, Maddie Crusto, the other uh, the other core staff. Uh, we've got a summer staff that's, like, incredible. And uh, the other piece of it is just be flexible because stuff is going to uh, stuff is going to happen. Just last night at the kickoff, we uh, we had to stop mid-show because of the uh, thunder and lightning. We had, to, <laughs> we had to shelter in place, which it felt so very fringy. It was great. <laughs> do you get but to the show any, must go on. Do you get to enjoy any of the shows, or are you just running around for the next 12 days? There's a lot of running around, especially in these first few days. There's not really any downtime. Uh, last night, I think I might have been, I was. I wouldn't say I slept. I'd say I was horizontal for a couple of hours. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the first couple of days, that's kind of the thing. And then, and then there, you know, as things go on uh, and, and the, the machine gets going, uh, some time happens. So I, I do have a, a few uh, select shows that I'm just like, oh, I hope I can sneak these in. I wish I could see them all. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Good morning, Hamilton Summer Cruising Series, shining a spotlight today on the Hamilton Fringe Festival. Our guests are Christopher Stanton, Festival Director with the Hamilton Festival Theatre Company, and Carly Anna Billings, a writer and performer. Our show is called Meatless Loaf. Carly Anna, let's talk about this show. It's scheduled to kick off tomorrow night. Where can we check it out, and what is this performance all about? 
Yeah, um, you can check it out at the Bridgeworks stage. Uh, we're really excited. It's uh, the Family Fringe Hub, so it's uh, a lot of good family, wholesome vibes. Uh, my show, Meatless Loaf, is a solo show, uh, so it's just me up there for 60, 60 big ones, 60 minutes. And uh, it's part storytelling, part culinary adventure. I like to call it the tasting menu of searching for who you are. Um, it has a lot to do with, uh, you know, rediscovering uh, all of my various cultural identities. Uh, I'm Italian, I'm indigenous, and uh, it's all through food. So Wow, so this show is all... fill everyone up. <laughs> do they get to uh, taste what you're, what you're making? Well, you'll have to come to the show to see, but I do cook on stage. <laughs> nice. Uh, Christopher, there are uh, many free events, but there are some events that you need tickets for as well. Where can our listeners get their tickets? Yeah, you want to go online to hftco.ca. That's hftco.ca. Uh, and just click on the box office icon. That'll walk you right through the process. It's super easy. Tickets are uh, generally 12 bucks. Uh, so you can't go too far wrong with a with a price like that. Uh, you can also come on down to the Fringe Club just outside of Theater Aquarius at 191 King William Street. Uh, that's where our main box office is, and you can uh, buy advance tickets there. Last question for you, Carly Anna. Do you get to enjoy some of the other shows, and is there one that you're really kind of focused on to to and excited to watch? Yeah. Oh, it's one of my favorite things about being in Fringe is taking the whole days and just immersing myself. Um, yeah, it's interesting. This is my first real, real fringe. Um, so I'm performing a solo show is uh, a lot, but I'm yeah definitely jumping in to see and as many as many shows as I possibly can. I personally am really excited to see Sampa. Uh, it was one of it was the winner of the new play contest at the Fringe, uh, and I was a juror on that jury. And so uh, I finally met a bunch of the uh, creators of that show last night at our incredible uh kickoff event and i just cannot wait to see that show uh up at the zoetic so i mean and there's so many more uh my brain is exploding with excitement <laughs> uh, but that's that's definitely when that uh that pops out christopher last one for you if someone has never been to the fringe festival where should they start uh, a great place, like a really easy sort of access point is coming on down to the Fringe Club with the, the, the free outdoor stage. There's, there's always something going on. There's a licensed beer tent. Uh, there's, there's activities. Uh, there's also family activities happening at the Family Hub down at Bridgeworks with the Kids Club Camp stuff that's happening there. A uh, whole array of activities there for the family. Uh, those are two great uh, places to start. Hamilton Fringe Festival kicked off last night. It runs all the way until July 31st. Get all your info, tickets, show schedule, locations, hftco.ca. Christopher Stanton, Carly Anna Billings, thanks for your time today. Have fun over the next couple of weeks. Thanks, Rick. Thanks so much. We'll see you down here. You got it. Woo! You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It is game day in the Canadian Football League, and that means the Hamilton Tiger Cats are in action tonight as they take on the Lions in BC. Joining me to break it all down is Courtney Stephen, the Director of Community Partnerships with the Tiger Cats, former player with the Tiger Cats as well. Courtney, good morning. How are you? I'm doing awesome. It's a beautiful day for a game on the West Coast. I could imagine. I'm all the way over here on the East, but those BC games, they have a way of uh, bringing fans into that West Coast vibe late at night. How difficult is it for an Eastern team to play out West? Is it all that it is uh, cracked to be in terms of the difficulty, the time change, the prep, all that kind of stuff? 
Well, the players will tell you that, you know, it's it's something that's mental and it's no excuse, but it definitely does make a difference. I remember in my playing days, drinking, uh, you know, an energy drink at halftime just to give myself that little extra kick, taking a sip of coffee or something to get your body in the zone. You're not really meant to be playing football at one o'clock in the morning, but that's how it is when you travel west. And I know some of the guys from the Ticats have even been working out in the evenings just to get a little bit acclimated to that nighttime vibe. But, you know, at the end of the day, when they kick the ball off, football is football, and I'm sure all those excuses will go right out the window. How big of a win was last Saturday against Ottawa for this Ticats team? Oh, it's huge. And especially when you're getting to the point in the season where, um, you know, you can only have so many bad breaks before people start to ask if this is a bad team. And getting one in the win column does a lot for everybody's confidence. It lets you know that to a degree, you are who you think you are. But as we know, this is a long season. There's still 13 games remaining on the schedule. And while you need to win one to be able to win two, in the words of Coach O, I think it's a great start. But there's still a lot left to be proven for these Hamilton Tiger Cats. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Courtney Stephen, former Ticats player and now the Director of Community Partnerships with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. We're going to get to in a couple of minutes some of the community initiatives and events that you are involved in. But before that, this BC Lions team out to a 3-0 start. They lost last time around against Winnipeg. They've just come off their bye. They're playing a team that's on a short week. Is it advantage, Lions? I think it's always an advantage when you're playing home and when you're the team who's got the upper hand in terms of the momentum. I know they lost against a strong Western division opponent, but um, just as far as the East in general, I think those Western teams are licking their chops anytime they get to play a team that's headed from that East towards the West. So uh, BC, they're, they're not short of confidence on this one. They've got a great offense, very explosive players on the other side of the ball when you got guys like, um, Nathan Rourke sitting back there and throwing to Lucky Whitehead, and Lucky Whitehead's not even the most productive receiver on the field. I, you got Brian Burnham out, and other guys are just jumping up and, and making plays like Dominique Rimes, who's arguably uh, one of the best receivers in the whole entire CFL right now. Um, the balanced attack of a guy like James Butler adds, you know, averaging almost five yards a carry, and he has as many receiving touchdowns as rushing touchdowns. Um, they've got to be feeling good heading into this one. So, uh, it'll be a great matchup, and and I think you can't sleep on any team. So for them, they'll be taking these Ticats seriously. They know they've got a lot of weapons. They just haven't been who they say they are, who they're advertised as. So they'll be preparing hard, and I think it will be a good game. Better game than some people think. You are a uh, phenomenal Canadian player during your playing days. How cool is it, because we haven't seen it in a while, how cool is it to see Rourke doing what he's doing at the position that he's playing? Oh, it, it's outstanding. And, you know, it's one of those things that you really just kind of have to cheer for the guy for the sake of the fact that there's so many people who would have doubted him before they ever had a chance to see him play. And for him to be able to go out there and look as confident as he is, it's not just the fact that he's winning games or that he's, you know, starting in the CFL. It's the manner in which he does it. He looks like he fits in. He's you know, excelling. He's not just playing. He's playing at a very high level. Uh, he's delivering the ball on the line. He's making his reads. He's got the high, he's tied for the highest uh, touchdown to interception ratio with a three to one tied with the guys like Zach Caleros, who's been a veteran in this league for a long time. So I think he's earning every bit 
of the attention that he's getting, but he's still still super young in the game. And I think that's the most exciting part. You know, as a Canadian, you just love to see the CFL grow. Uh, you love to see the Canadian talent excel. And, and Nathan Rourke is a guy that a lot of people are excited about. All right, let's get uh, to your initiatives and events throughout the community. I know you've been busy here, there, and everywhere over the last uh, number of years since you announced your retirement. What's uh, What are some of the things you want to highlight and what's coming up that you're excited about? Oh, well, you know, Hamilton is a, an amazing sports city and we've got a ton of things for the community, whether it be the kids once they get back in school and uh, paying a visit to those schools with our high school mentorship program where we give a bunch of the different Tiger Cats opportunities to get to know a team in the city and and spend some time with them over the course of a few different weeks. Um, either that or just things where we're, we're helping other causes raise money. We work with great organizations like the YWCA, the Interval House, and um, Boys and Girls Club. The list goes on. It's very long. But uh, anything we could do to grow the game at the grassroots level promote have healthy, active living for these young kids that are in these schools or bring awareness to causes that support the people of this city. We do a little bit of everything. So I'm just glad to be in the role that I am because community involvement has been something I've always been passionate about. And a team like Hamilton, it's definitely a priority for them. So it's a perfect match. Well, the role sits uh, sits with you perfectly because you are an outstanding uh, individual, a great mentor to many uh, young and I'm sure old as well. Uh, keep up the great work. Uh, thanks for joining us today, and we will chat with you down the road. Appreciate it, Rick. That is Courtney Stephen, former player and current director of community partnerships with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Tiger Cats, BC Lions, live tonight. Our pregame show on CHML begins at 9 o'clock. Kickoff is at 10 and a half hour after the game ends in and around 1.30. It is the fifth quarter here on 900 CHML, brought to you by Eastgate Ford with guest host Dave Woodard. Yeah, Woody is going to be hosting the fifth quarter in place of me as I get some much-needed R&R in the middle of the night before hosting a morning show. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.